welcome to the show everybody. This is Mimas Fractalus and I'm your host Orin Castillo. This episode is brought to you by Crazy Cups, which is located at one and a half miles on the Philip Golson Highway at the Northern Shops. This is a Belizean establishment opened on the 13th of September 2019. They sell all kinds of flavor slush drinks with or without your choice of candy topping, ice cream sorbet for vegans, nachos, pizza, hot dogs, cotton candy, popcorn, and chamoy apples. Your quote for today is from Winston Churchill. He said, success is not final, failure is not fatal, it is the courage to continue that count. And your physics jokes for today, what did the Indian Ocean say to the Pacific Ocean? Nothing, they just waved. Today, my guest is Bilkis Khadija Ali, also known as Doreen Gibson. Doreen Gibson is my mother, so I'll let her introduce herself. Okay, I am I am a Muslim, first of all, and um, I'm a mother of eight children, and um, I'm 68 at this time. As you mentioned, you are a Muslim, and I could talk to you about many things. You have a, had a long life with many ex- life experiences, but today, I think what I want to talk to you about is the religion of Islam in Belize. When it first came to Belize, shortly thereafter, you joined the Brotherhood of Muslims in Belize. Can you tell us what the early days were like in this religion in Belize and how it was all new and everything? Okay, the early days, we had um, a small place where we met on Plue Street. It was, a, it was the downstairs of the home of one of the brothers. Uh, well, at least I would say the home of Brother Nuri Mohammed. Um, it wasn't exactly his home, but it was a family property. And um, he allowed us to have meetings down there. And um, they were, we were few, but we were, um, we were a strong um, we were very strong and we had a togetherness that you hardly find nowadays, you know. And by togetherness, I mean that we looked out for each other. How often did you commune with each other? In those days, we didn't have any cell phone. So we'd go maybe, we, wouldn't let, we would not let three days pass before going to see our brothers and sisters, right? How is it that you came to be involved in the nation of islam how i came into it was i was um, offered a newspaper one evening i was going down albert street and um you know the building you know william kwan is after william kwan there is this building that people call abduz and our brother nuri was selling um newspaper the muhammad speaks newspaper and the headline for that paper was um, Re-Educate the Black Man. And that headline caught my attention. And I felt, well, that's something that we need, you know. So I bought one paper and I was extended an invitation to come to hear the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. So I told the brother, yes, I'm coming. And um, he told me where it would be held and 
the following day which was a sunday i went to the meeting and um what i heard was coming as i said before from the honorable elijah muhammad and um, he had started a an organization that is called the Nation of Islam. How is mainstream Islam different from the Nation of Islam? Mainstream Islam is usually comprised of um, the Sunnis, Shias, maybe Wahhabis and Salafis and all those um, different um, sects, right? But the Nation of Islam is completely different in the sense that... Um, they came expressly, it was something that came expressly for us, black people, who were at the very bottom of society. And in many respects, we still are at the very bottom of society. And this teaching was designed to uplift us. Who were some of the early members of the Nation of Islam in Belize? There was Brother Justice, who later changed his name to Ibrahim Abdullah. His name was Charles X. Egan, also known as Justice, and later on known as Ibrahim Abdullah. Then there was um, a brother named Mr. Tucker. He changed his name to Ishmael Omar Shabazz. And then there was another brother named Rudolph Farrakhan. Now those three brothers... They were teaching Islam also, as taught by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. But they were teaching in the 60s, around 67, 68, 69, around that time. I could be wrong about the timing, but all I know, it was in the 60s. That's for sure. What contributions did they make to the development of Belize? These three brothers went to a place named Otomaro, and they helped to develop that village. They helped to lobby for the government to build an all-weather road to that, um, to that village so that the villagers could bring out their produce. In so doing, they also established a school. They established a Muslim school back in Motomaro. Now, that's something that I didn't know until I went to live back there. Then I found out that there was a school there. Now... That school has since been taken over by the government. It's now a government school. So it probably does not have the name Mohammed School anymore. But just for the record, it was started by Muslims, that particular school. So Muslims have to wear their traditional garb, the, what is called the hijab. For those that don't know, it is a covering from head to toe and the most traditional hijab has only the eyes revealed. The rest of the woman from head to toe is covered completely. Being Belize, that was very unusual. Was there any discrimination against you in the early days when you started to wear the Muslim hijab? Okay, when I started to wear the Muslim hijab, there were some people who would uh, take it for a joke. And by that I mean that if they see you walking in this long dress and a head covered up, they would say, um, girl, you know, you're not afraid you trip down, you're not afraid you fall down, you know, stuff like that, they would say. They'd have funny things to say, you know. And um, I knew why I was wearing it, so I, that didn't bother me. 
Matter of fact, I tried to convince them to wear it too. After the events of September 11th, 2001, Muslims the world over were very much discriminated against and labeled as terrorists. Did you experience any backlash concerning that type of stigma and discrimination here as a Muslim in Belize? I can't say that I experienced backlash, but um, there were comments made by people who were curious and they're saying, oh, they call you no terrorists, but I know you long time, so I know to you as no terrorists. You know, people who knew me long time or people who knew most of us, we all grew up here in Belize, so they, people, they didn't see us as terrorists, but... Some people would say, well, why me not the giant that? Because um, they're not terrorists. I, I know the giant that. You hear what the news say? So and so and so. But them people there. So you find people would, um, would kind of shy away from Islam. But then there were people who knew you when they were growing up. And so they didn't really shy away. Some people got more curious and wanted to know more about the religion. And, you know, because of the... All the, the, um, all the stuff coming out about 9-11, it, it raised people's interests and they would ask about the religion and then some of them became converts. Okay. Can you describe the Muslim community in Belize now? Is it a thriving community or are there dwindling numbers? What is the Muslim community like in Belize at this point in time in 2020? Well, okay. The group that I used to be with, I no longer am with them. And that group I'm talking about is the group that's on the, the Central American Boulevard. They have a school and they have a nice masjid. And um, I used to worship there, but um, I have my own reasons why I, I stay away from there, you know. Because I, okay, my reason is that I am, I consider myself to be, still be nation of Islam. That's what I started out with, the program of the, of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, and they no longer practice that program. I was with them for a while because most of the people there are people that I had joined nation of Islam with. So where is it that you commune now? I go and I visit a new group that came in recently in, in 2013 there was a group they could call themselves Akmadia I go to their um, when they have Eid I go there when they have um, Juma prayers on Fridays I go there sometimes okay I usually ask um, questions related to maybe science or maths or education in Belize right since I am a teacher of science and mathematics in Belize I wanted to ask you what was the education system like when you were growing up in the 50s and 60s? Well, I must say that the education system when I was growing up in the 50s and 60s was uh, far superior to what we have now. And by that I mean the children nowadays, if you ask them to recite their times table, simple timetable, they, they, a lot of them can't recite it. And they... I think that's a step backward, you know. They can't recite it. Then another thing that I've noted is that the children do not seem to understand English. They take these tests when they reach standard six. They take the um, exams. And my feeling is that they do not 
understand the instructions that are on the test. And why I say they don't understand the instructions is because they speak Creole in the school and the teachers speak Creole in the school. I've passed the schools and I've heard the teachers speaking in Creole. When I was in school, the only time you spoke Creole was when you were in the playground. Every other subject, if it was history, if it was geography, if it was um, general science, if it was whatever, maths, whatever, you had to speak English. You were tra trained to speak English. You had to speak English. You couldn't speak. Now, some people might look on it and say, oh, that's a slave master's language. Yeah, I've been through that. I've been through that. It is a slave master's language, but we must remember that it is the medium of communication all over the world. So when you don't speak proper English, man, I've looked on some um, news items on my phone and there is this uh, misuse of the, the word, of certain words, like the word T-H-E-R-E -E and T-H-E-I-R. There is a misuse of it. It's the, and people don't know. People spell any old way they feel like spelling. And that's not um, good communication. It, there's bad grammar. We couldn't get away with bad grammar in school. We couldn't get away with bad spelling. Every morning, religiously, they line us along, around the classroom. And they would drill us, drill and mental in, in, um, in maths. And by drill and mental, I mean you had to do the figuring in your head. If you go up to now, I still go to um, Publix and I can um, cipher in my head how much the items I bought are going to cost to the nearest, um, how you say, to the nearest, if they, let's say the thing costs $55, I would cipher it to, to probably about $54 or $56. I, I, I wouldn't be far, you know, I would cipher it in my head. Okay, so you mentioned that it was required of your generation to know their times tables. But when you grew up in the 50s and 60s, pocket calculators hadn't been invented yet. I think that's an invention of the 70s or early 80s. And also pocket phones, which also have calculators, hadn't been invented yet. Children these days have those at their disposal. So what would you say to the comments or to the statement that it's not necessary to know your times table when you can use a calculator? Okay, I think the calculator, having a calculator is a good thing because um, I use it sometimes myself. I do use it, but there are times when I don't have my phone on me. I do, I do my addition in my head. Most of the times, right in my head. But I think it's a good thing to have. It makes life easier. <laughs> I think it makes things easier. So I, I can't say, that, well, we should stress that the children do do their aim but I, I think it's something that they should learn to do in just in case you don't you don't have a phone that that's working or you, you you don't have a calculator you can still know how to do it in your head okay you also mentioned that how english is used the world over um but as a matter of fact if i'm not mistaken statistics can show that English is not the most widely spoken language the world over. There are people who are speaking Chinese languages that are outnumber people that speak English. You got right? a point there. You really got a point there. But um, 
let's narrate down to Belize. We we get our exams, our standard six students, and um, our well, it's not GC anymore. It's CXC. The CXC, the exams are in English. So I feel like people got to have a, a proper understanding of the English language to to deal with with these um, exams. I, I I got a figure I, I got a feeling sorry that that's a factor in why our children are not achieving um, good grades in in these standard six exams you know these um what do you call the exam for go to high school PSC exams. All right. The last thing I want to do is end off with a little segment that I'll call five for five. Now, you were born in the 1950s, and these days, it's all about technology. I want to ask you five terms to see if you know what they stand for. The first one, I think almost everybody knows, I'll ask you is LOL. What does that stand for? LOL? Laugh out loud. Correct. How about SMH? Shaking my head. Correct. OFC? I have no idea about that one. That is, of course, TTYL. No, I have no idea about that one either. Talk to you later. And the last one, JK. Mm, no, I don't know that one either. Just kidding. So that's it for my guest today. So now I'll say goodbye with a little story about Archimedes of Syracuse. As the story goes, the king at the time had commissioned the crafting of a crown. He gave a certain amount of gold to a goldsmith who was supposed to make a crown for the king. The king gave a specific amount of gold to the goldsmith. And when the goldsmith was done, he gave the crown to the king. The king, however, grew suspicious of the goldsmith. He thought the goldsmith was trying to cheat him by not using all of the gold but was watering it down with silver so to speak. The king had no way of proving that the goldsmith had been dishonest so he called upon his close friend Archimedes to solve the problem. Archimedes knew that gold and silver have different densities meaning that a lump of gold will have about twice as much mass as a lump of silver the same size. The trouble was that no one knew how to work out the size of an irregularly shaped object like a crown. While he was thinking about this, Archimedes went to the public baths to relax. In those days, there were public bathrooms where everyone took a bath. As he slipped into the water, he noticed some spilling over the edge and he had a sudden flash of inspiration. The displaced water must have exactly the same volume as he did. If you know the volume of an object, you can easily calculate its density. All Archimedes had to do was find out whether a lump of pure gold with the same volume as the crown would weigh more. The crown would be lighter than it should be if the craftsman had deviously used some silver instead. Archimedes, quite jubilant, leapt straight out of the bat and ran naked down the street shouting, Eureka! Eureka! Which translates to, I have found it. Soon after, the goldsmith confessed and was swiftly dealt with by the king. As always, I leave you with the wise words of Albert Einstein. Don't let schooling interfere with your education. Mm-hmm.